Lord, we want to lift up our hearts to you. We want to thank you for the things that you have taught us uh, from uh, so many different ways, from our parents and uh, our families and uh, for uh, those that have taken much time and devoted their lives to Adventist education. We want to thank you for the ministry uh, of so many. And we pray, Lord, that uh, what we would do today as we spend some time together is uplift your name. We pray, Lord, that uh, what we do would be pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here because there's no sign of selfishness. Uh, not that we don't have a tendency to that, Father, but because we have a deep desire right now, right here, to learn from the Almighty God of heaven. And we pray that you be our teacher. We want to open up our hearts, and we would love to hear you speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, the goals of education, clarifying this distinction between education, which is big and broad and covers a whole lifespan, and uh, schooling, which can just, just touch a narrow part of what we truly are interested in being educated about. And so uh, what we want to do then is, uh, is take a look at what sort of methods will, will reach the goal. Now, you remember just a little bit ago, uh, maybe I could go back uh, here and uh, redraw this to show that uh, the goal to be educated, and then we have a method of education, which is our common approach that we call schools. And schools is clearly not uh, meeting God's design to be truly educated. And so we're seeing that disconnect there. So the question would come to my mind, well, then what methods would work, right? If education, or if, if to really truly be educated, and we're doing schools and that's not working, well, Lord, please tell us what we do. Wouldn't you say that? And then where would we go to get true success? How about Christ's methods alone? Now, hopefully, that brings a quote to your mind that uh, Jesus is the one to really understand education. Christ's method alone will give true success. Ministry of Healing, page 143. True success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. We should do as Christ did. Christ's method of education, his method of schooling, his method of training helped his disciples achieve a true, well-balanced education. So if we were going to take a look at uh, at uh, Christ's method of education, uh, let's, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. Now, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to ask you a really easy question. What comes after Matthew chapter 4? Matthew uh, chapter 5, the Beatitudes, that's packaged within 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and while you're, while you're looking up um, Matthew chapter 4, let's just take in your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 5. And how many of you have red letters in your Bible? Do some of you have red letters? You notice where the red letters start in verse 3? Is that where it is in your Bible? I'd like you to take a look at something really fascinating. And this says... Uh, um, the verse before the red letters. And he opened his mouth and began to do what? Teach them. When Mark records this in Holy Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount is actually called a what? A teaching. Isn't that fascinating? And if you take a look... And uh, the Sermon on the Mount ends at the end of what chapter? Towards the end of what chapter? Matthew 7. So we'll go to the end of Matthew 7. And you'll look at all the red letters. And it comes down to the end. And the, the verse after the red letters says, says this. That's verse 28. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Scripture bookends the Sermon on the Mount as a teaching. Scripture doesn't leave any doubt that this is a teaching. When we start to understand education, when we start to understand what Jesus really did when he was teaching, you can look right here. Isn't that amazing? All right, so let's get back to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And, uh, and uh, start. let's start with verse 22. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, who was this? Yes, James and John, right after uh, Peter and Andrew had, had... So now, Jesus in his first school has his first students. He's got his first disciples. And so immediately, and we're going to start in verse 23, he dives right into his educational process. And what does Jesus do? In in, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee. First thing he did is he started traveling. Isn't that fascinating? So let's take a look. Uh, Here's the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the section that in the back of my Bible shows something like uh, Galilee here. Now, as I remember doing some uh, calculations, it's about uh, 25 miles uh, uh, area here. So he walked. He did some walking. We're going to go 25 miles. Are we normally walking? No, we're in the car, aren't we? Now, those, I, thank you for those who are doing bicycles. That gets some good education. Here's what I think is interesting. Now, by the way, you know, uh, 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 my name is Randy Siebold. I'm Chancellor of Weimar College. Happy to be there. And I know about a program called New Start. You ever, you ever heard of New Start? What's the E in New Start stand for? Exercise. What is, what is our first, what's the first part of the verse here? What was Jesus doing? 
He was exercising, right? He had his disciples. He's got his first students. And the first thing they do is, amen. <laughs> right? Did he, he, did he put them in a classroom? No. He said, let's go. Let's go. Got my students. He said, follow me because I'm going somewhere. All right? So then, and then it says what he does. He's, he went about Galilee and he was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So isn't this fascinating? So now we have him out walking, and by the way, I've heard from the New Start folks that walking is a great exercise, and I'm really happy about that. In fact, they tell me, don't jog too much. Amen. (laughs) I love to walk, even when I'm up here talking. Okay. All right, so probably Jesus did a lot of walking and talking too. All right, so uh, he went all about teaching, preaching, and healing. So what we have is around the Galilee area, around his walking, with his disciples with him, he did three things, teaching, preaching, and healing. So next verse, okay, verse 24, and his fame went throughout all Syria. So it was a good thing he was walking around all Syria, don't you think? What was verse 23? Where was he walking? Galilee. Galilee. And people came from Galilee, right? Do you notice the disconnect here? All right. So, okay, well, where's Syria? You see it on the map up here? People came from Syria because he's walking around Galilee. Isn't that fascinating? My guess is they probably didn't come in cars. Right? They, they came. And, and then scripture tells us uh, why they came. And they brought into him all the sick people. Why did, why did they come to Jesus? To be healed. He was doing how many things? He was walking with his disciples behind him and he was doing teaching preaching and healing and the people came for the healing isn't that fast it's almost like healing is the right arm of the gospel it's almost like healing opens up doors and into places and to people that you would never be able to touch if it weren't for healing it's almost like healing has an avenue of reaching people that nothing else does. So, verse 25, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now hold on a second. What was going on? People were coming from all over the map, right? And they, were, they came because they opened the door and he was authentic and and. Where did Jesus get all of his methods from? His father. He did what his father told him to do. Could we do that? Could we come to the spot where when God says, I want you to do this, we go, okay. Wouldn't that be great instead of going, well, you know, Lord, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody, you understand what I'm saying? Far too often, we get into an argument with the Lord. How dumb is that? 
I mean, you're arguing with God. Do you recognize that doesn't... Who's going to win that argument every time? Just, just tell me. The Lord's going to win that. Because he's right, and you're wrong. And so why can't we get to the point where we really say, okay, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm going to do it. That's like coming up, you know, we, I, I've done some talks on decision-making. And uh, what I've done in the past is I've done this really really poor tactic of talking to the Lord. And I would, I would say, I have these two decisions in my mind as if kind of I had them in my hands. I was talking to the Lord, well, Lord, which do you really want me to do? Do you want me to do this? And I'd hold one up in his face and I'd put my other hand behind my back. Or do you want me to do this or this? Which one, Lord? You see what I'm saying? And it's almost like I'm trying to convince God which one's better. What I want to do is I want to lay them down. I want to put them on the table and say, Lord, whichever one, and maybe you got another one, whatever you want me to do, that's what I will do. That's for me and my house, right? Amen. Okay, so that's that what was happening. People coming from all over the place, there was this publishing that was happening of the, of the word that... Uh, um, so, so here's what I see. Here's the, here's the components of Jesus' method. He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing, and then, he, and then there was this publishing that was going on about his work. Now, I hope you don't see it as a stretch of one of Jesus' methods. You, you, you kind of see it's a little more of a stretch than the preaching, teaching, healing, which are right there. The, I think what happened one time is I read one of the versions and the first part of verse 24 said, and it was published abroad, and it was like, Whoa, it hit me. And, 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 and the reason why it hit me so powerfully is because at that same time, I was taking a look at some of the methods uh, that were developed inside of our church and some of the strategies that our church has gone through. And, and, and what I found was in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church, we find Jesus' methods being developed in our history. So take a look at this. This is fascinating. In the 40s, what are we talking about? What's happening? This is the 1840s, and uh, there's a lot of preaching going on, right? Turn back to the Lord. You know, come. Jesus is coming soon. And they're out there preaching. Am I right? All right. So we have this whole development, and, and then the... Uh, 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 the great disappointment happens in there, but that doesn't dissuade those few, the faithful. They know they've been led by God. They know scripture is right, and they're going to tell the world that Jesus is still coming soon. So then in the 50s, there's a new piece that's added to the puzzle, and that's publishing. First Review and Herald article, or the First Review and, Review and Herald starts to be uh, uh, built up in uh, Battle Creek and... Uh, there's all of this, it's, it's a new decade in, in the uh, signs of the times and these, uh, these the, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church starts to change and there's new, new developments coming in. And then in the 1860s, there's, a, there's another, the decade of, of the health work, the healing work. And all of a sudden... Um, uh, the sand is opened up in Battle Creek, and so there's, there's all of these uh, pieces, and, and, it, and it's, it's not because of Ellen White's visions 
that they started doing health, but they, they recognized in scripture that there was a call for healthy living and then she validated it. Isn't that true? Isn't it amazing that, that, that when you read Ellen White, you read scripture more? What? I heard that one time there was a study done and uh, uh, I guess it was done up at Andrews and uh, there's a Dr. Dudley and some other groups. I'm not sure exactly who did it. Uh, but what they did was they, they took a look at those who were reading Spirit of Prophecy and found that those who read Spirit of Prophecy had a tendency to read more scripture. Have you ever read her and said, oh, I need to get into my Bible more? Right? Because you read her and she goes, by the way, keep reading your Bible. She doesn't say, read me because I'll give you what you need and you don't need to read your Bible. She doesn't say that because it's not true. Uh, if, otherwise, she would have said it. She said, get back to your Bible. Go to your Bible. Study your Bible. I tell you, I've been, I've been having a blast with the last chapters of each of the four Gospels. You know the quote. W one hour especially the closing scenes on the life of Christ, right? Uh, I've been doing that, and it's been powerful. Just studying and meditating on a section and then seeing from all four Gospels things that I never saw before. Just beautiful. I mean, just exciting. Okay, so uh, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, what do you think happened in the 70s? Teaching, right. For Ellen White's first article on education. It's about a 40-page article called Proper Education. Uh, first denominational school and college in the 1870s. This is fascinating, isn't it? The same methods we see Jesus using right after he has his disciples, we see happening in the development of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I think that's fascinating. So what happens in the 1880s? Does it bring any word to your mind? Any phrase? Righteousness by faith? It's almost like, and I've used this illustration before, it's almost like a, a four-layered wedding cake. And, and then he takes, you ever, you ever had one of these pudding cakes where they just pour the pudding and it just seeps all inside? It's like, you know, I'm not trying to make people hungry for dessert or anything. Um, uh, and, and, and but it, the righteousness by faith was designed to embody everything, right? Isn't that exciting that this this uh, this deep desire for uh, for God to come back and and deliver His people? He's got the four layers of the wedding cake, and His people say, "What? I'm not quite ready." Now, anybody married here? Can, could, you, could you imagine? I, I mean, I just, I, you know what I did when I, when I thought about that? I thought about myself standing at the front of the church and having my wife walk down the aisle and then go, okay, um, not right now. I, you know, I would have been devastated. I would have been devastated. Praise the Lord, she didn't. She finished walking down. Married 30 years. I'm so happy. God is good. All right. So um, 
development of the history of the church, those same four components. Let me share with you a, uh, a quote from Ellen White that, that shows those same four components, and she puts this into a, uh, a context. Repeatedly, the Lord has instructed us that we are to work the cities from where? Outpost centers. And this is where end-time education starts to meet end-time evangelism strategy. Does that make sense? All right. So she says, in the cities, we're to have houses of worship as memorials to God. However, outside of the city, she'll say, but institutions for the publication of our literature, for the healing of the sick, for the training of the workers are to be established outside of the cities. Do you see these same four components built inside of the outpost center model? Isn't that fascinating? The methods that God has to accomplish true education isn't our small little idea of what school is. It's the big idea of finishing the work. It's what Jesus did. When he called his disciples, he started walking. And he started teaching and preaching and healing. And that's what we're to be doing here and with the publication of the work. Okay, so these, uh, these four components of uh, Jesus' method. We take a look at those four. These are the method, the broad strokes of the method that Jesus used to accomplish the education. Isn't that fascinating? This is, this is the goal. So it needs to look something like this. This is what our schooling needs to look like, something like that. Well, um, what I want to do now is I want to transition to, a, uh, to help us understand a little bit about what inspired me to get more involved with education because it made a profound impact on me, perhaps on someone else it'll make a difference. What I recognized was that inside of uh, my mind, I was wrestling with what does education really look like? And at, uh, I'll, I'll, I mentioned briefly in the first session uh, about my past and about where the Lord had led me. And as I was doing my doctoral work in education, I was reading research studies at the same time I was reading the book Education, and I kept finding these parallel after parallel and recognizing that in 1903, there was a book written with the same research that was being done in, in around the year 2000. Amen? And, and so I said, wow, this is we have a shortcut to all the research. We know where the research is going to end up because it's speaking truth. And that's what researchers want to do. They're wanting to find truth. That's, their, that's the goal. And uh, so I, I recognized that and I said, wow. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to unpack for you a little bit about what the world is saying about their educational systems. Does that sound all right? So if... If the Seventh-day Adventist said, wow, I need to change my educational system, but, you know, the world's educational system, you know, we've, have, we, have we modeled our, our schools after the world's schools, yes or no? Yes, I mean, we have. Now, are they different? I hope so. 
and and you know I went to I mentioned I went to Broadview Academy, uh, and I was uh, I was baptized there. I found the Lord Jesus there for the first time in my life, and uh, you know, I recognized that even though there were things happening there that I wouldn't want to happen in my school, the Lord worked. And the Lord can work through Adventist education and does right now work. And you know what? He works through imperfect people too. Anybody seen that happen? Right? At the same time, does he call us to stay where we're at? No, he calls us further. Be ye therefore perfect. I think the Lord is looking for institutional sanctification. It's the work of a lifetime. Right? Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. All right. So we'll take a look at the world's education. We're going to take a look at and, and how and, and the world uses public schools to achieve its education, correct? You see what I'm saying? The, the large goals of education are done through that. So there is a huge cry for change in the world's educational system. Okay? So first of all, I'll give you a bit of a timeline. Uh, I'll point out uh, three what we call ages or uh, um, uh, ways in which people were finding economic uh, growth. And so we had the agrarian age, the industrial age, and now the information age. I got an email one time that actually said the information age is now in effect. I thought, well, that was good to come through an email. Um, and, uh, and so the industrial age, now, of course, these are not rough, you know, sharp timelines, and it hasn't hit necessarily every country. You know, there's, there's differences, but uh, by and large, we're speaking primarily U.S. Um, so what happened was, uh, in the middle of the 1800s, there was this idea that they called the common school movement. So the strategy was, we have people from all over the world who are moving to America. We want a strategy. And the strategy is, let's train them to be Americans. Rather than folks from Ireland or folks from Kenya or folks from uh, you know, South Korea, where, just wherever, we're going to have Americans. And so they, they wanted to build a system that was, was doing something that hadn't been done before, and that is everyone deserves an education. Everyone. Uh, before then, who was being educated? What's that? The wealthy, the clergy, right? Those who are, are the ones being educated. So we have in America what's called, and you read the, the uh, history of education books, they call it the common school movement. In other words, schools are popping up everywhere. And uh, what was happening is as those schools were popping up, were they, was, was there a single design of which they were built on? Were, did they all look the same? No. They didn't. They were all kinds, dependent on who was teaching it. There was no standardized curriculum. So the, a group got together, uh, requested by the uh, National Education Association in the United States. Uh, there was a group of people got together, and uh, it was uh, headed by the president of Harvard. And uh, uh, you can go on to Google Books, and you can download the document if you're interested in reading this. What happened was this group got together and they said, 
We need to standardize the curriculum. People are all over the place. People are coming to colleges and they're graduating from high schools and some don't know how to read well. And some don't know how to write well and some don't know Latin at all. And so they had, they had all of these ideas and they were, they were, people were all over the place. We've got to standardize this curriculum. So this group, by and large, made a definition of what we now take for a standard definition of high school. They, uh, they divided the school up into subject areas and had students take classes. Sound familiar to anybody? Uh, there were classes like history and mathematics and sciences and social studies. Sound familiar? You see what I'm saying? They, they defined the time for high school preparation to be a certain number of years. Guess how many years that was? Four years. How many, how many went to school, high school for four years? Anybody? Yeah, right? You know, why did you go for four years and not five? Or not three? Because these folks said four years, it's what it is, that's what it is. And that's what we do. By and large, because these folks said it. Uh, guess how long they said an elementary school education should be. And by the way, it wasn't broken up into um, middle school. It was all one big elementary school. How long? Eight years. They didn't say seven. They didn't say nine. They said eight years. And because they said it, now we do it. And you know what? We don't even question it. How can you get through high school in three years? I had a daughter that finished high school in three years. One daughter, and, and then I had a son who just barely got through in four. Okay? So, you, you, I mean, it, four years, and whoever you are, that's how long it takes. You see what I'm saying? Isn't that odd? And, then, and they define it, and so we do it. Um, time passed. There was a lot of people who dis, uh, disagreed with this whole idea, and there was a lot of frustration. Yes? It's on uh, Google Books. Oh, the Committee of Ten. Yeah, you can search the Committee of Ten. And by the way, another uh, one you can uh, search is A Nation at Risk. Um, a Nation at Risk. This, this happened, I think, in uh, 1983. It's another document. Uh, I'll talk about that. Um, uh, Reagan wanted to be uh, known, as, I, as, as the story goes, wanted to be known to be involved in education. He wasn't so much an education president, but thought he should do something for education. So he requested a bunch of experts to get together and, and to do a checkup on the school system. How are the schools in America doing? And so they, were, they entitled their report, A Nation at Risk. How do you think their report did? Not so well. In fact, uh, let me uh, share with you this quote off of the first page of the report. If an unfriendly foreign power had attempted to impose on America the mediocre educational performance that exists today, we might well have viewed it as an act of war. What do you think? Uh, how, how their, their perspective is that we need to change education. And what they were really saying is we need to change schools. You following me? 
this difference between education and schools. They recognized they wanted something bigger, but they, they, they realized that schools were not making it happen. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, doing it. Um, one researcher uh, puts it this way. He says, you know, there's, there's uh, three different ages, the agrarian industrial information age. He says, uh, transportation has changed significantly over these times. And he said, also the family has changed significantly over these times. Do you recognize that? And businesses have changed from the family uh, business, now the bureaucracies, the large businesses, and now we're into these team-based, flatter, small, uh, uh, smaller administrative uh, groups. And, uh, and now, he says, education went from our one-room schoolhouse to our current system, and what are we doing now? This is one researcher who says, we can't stay the same. Now, you remember uh, from our last presentation, the context of looking from an Adventist perspective, we can see into the future, and that very profoundly changes what we do and why we do it. Am I correct? All right. So, um, uh, this now, th this slide, this is, a, this is a new one I just put in here. Uh, Weimar College has been looking into accreditation, and uh, uh, I went to a meeting of which the a president of an accrediting association was standing up front, and he was giving a presentation. And uh, he had a PowerPoint slide, and this were the first two bullet points off of his slide. This is the president. Did, did, I, did I clarify what I was just saying? This is the president of the accrediting association said higher education is broken. Yes? Well, I wasn't going to mention it, but it's WASC. Western Association of Schools and Colleges. But that probably could have figured that out pretty easily. But anyway, yeah. Uh, what he recognizes is that there's radical changes on the road and things will be very different. Yes? Uh, let me go into some more detail. Uh, so why was he saying that? I'm glad I put a slide up to actually ask the question that you were thinking. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, what he recognized is that, that technology was profoundly changing the way education could be done. You know, uh, inside of a traditional classroom, the teacher is the content expert, and the knowledge is disseminated from the teacher to the students. Uh, am, I, am I informing anyone of anyone they haven't known before? Right? You, you've seen that happen. All right? And what happens is when you can bring technology in, they're now doing things where they call, what are they, upside-down classrooms? I don't, is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, Dr. Parker sent me an email uh, and they had an article about it, and I thought, well, that's fascinating use of technology. So rather than uh, coming in and lecture, and then you go and often do homework. They give you a lecture to watch, and then you come into class and do homework. 
Isn't that fascinating? So a, a different strategy. So technology is changing the way things happen very clearly. And I'll give you some more examples of that. Uh, brain research. Brain research on learning theory has been telling us that schools are not designed to optimize learning. Some have said they're not designed for learning. That, that they're designed for managing, controlling, and, and separating the smart people from the not smart people. So that we can take the smart people, move them up into leading in, in our government. That was the theory. And, uh, and, then, and then try to, try to run a, a good, strong government because of that. All right. So uh, what they've recognized is that the more and more they understand about how the brain works, the more and more frustrated they are about the way schools work. Okay, the uh, body-mind connection. There's a recent book called Spark that came out that talked about this incredible connection between the body and the mind and that somehow exercise actually prepares the body to learn. What a shock to us Seventh-day Adventists, right? Something about New Start, N-E. Something like, is, it's almost as if Jesus had the opportunity he would actually take people on a walk, right? He would say, disciples, follow me, right? And he'd start walking, and he'd walk all around Galilee. They're recognizing that the students who graduate from schools are not prepared to work in the businesses. Bottom line. They're recognizing that through training people in businesses, you know, business doesn't have a high tolerance for things that don't work. And so what's happening is corporate training is, is radically changing. When corporate training first came out, well, think back with me just for a moment. How long have corporations been around? Thousands of years? No. Corporations are a product of the industrial age. So corporations came out and started to develop and schools were already developed, so they, they, they were looking for experts in learning, but what they found were experts in schooling. Okay? So they brought them in, and they said, okay, make training programs for us, because we have these widgets we want to make, and we want our people to learn how to make these widgets. Okay? And, and learn how to relate to people better. Do you have a class for that? And so they'd have these people, and they'd, they'd do a lot of the same strategies they did in the schools, but they didn't work well. And so what's happened is uh, corporate training has made significant progress in changes on how they train people. And that will work its way to the school system. They don't, they don't do it like schools do it. So these are some of the reasons why. And now, now let's take a look at this, this uh, uh, dichotomy then between learning and schooling. Uh, students learn at different rates. Uh, classes have a set time. You ever notice that? Uh, elementary schools are set for 180 days, typically 180 days. And so if there's someone who learns that subject quickly, they might get what grade? An A, and if someone didn't learn as quickly, they might get what grade? Less than an A, 
right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's really very fascinating. Um, intrinsic motivation, uh, grades used as motivation. You know, uh, there's intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. Uh, uh, Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N, if you're wanting to look up some of this stuff, uh, some really fascinating stuff on this. Uh, what he does is he talks about how the intrinsic nature of motivation, when you love something, you want to just do it and you dive into it and you give it everything. And that when you put extrinsic motivation onto something, it reduces intrinsic motivation. Uh, there's, a, there's a story of a, of a psychologist who had some young hoodlums come and kick over his garbage cans in his backyard. And uh, they kept doing this every day. And so he comes out and he says, hey, you guys, you guys have been kicking the garbage cans over? And he goes, they go, yeah, we've been the ones. He goes, sweet, here. Tomorrow, I want you to kick them over again. Here's a dollar a piece. They go, all right. So after about three days of paying them to kick over his garbage cans, he doesn't go out anymore. And they go, hey, if he's not going to pay us, we're not going to do it. <laughs> because extrinsic motivation can have a tendency to reduce intrinsic motivation. Whole person connected. We know that the whole person, we know that the whole person is connected. You know, uh, it was really fascinating. When I was going through my doctoral work, there was a, uh, uh, you know, there were some Christians who struggled with the idea of the whole person because they, they had this idea that the spirit was up here and then the body was down here, that dualism idea. And, and they struggled with the idea that, you know, you could be a whole being. And yet here I am as a Seventh-day Adventist go, that's a no-brainer, right? Mind, body, spirit, we're connected, it's all in. That's good. It's amazing how doctrine can actually help you understand and, and, and impacts education. There's a great chapter on the Sabbath in the book Education too, by the way. Um, in learning, we recognize not just the whole person, but the whole mind, and yet we focus on memory. Lifelong learning? No, we don't do that. We just do grades. Teaching is the best way to learn. Students learn primarily by themselves. You see what I'm saying? So we, what we know about uh, how people learn and what we know about schools. And, and you know what's fascinating? If you go to schools of education, they will, they will be teaching their teachers, future teachers, how to teach like this. Uh, let, me, let me change that. They, will, they, they try to teach learning strategies, but they use old techniques to teach new strategies. Isn't that fascinating? And they say, you need to teach like this, and we're going to have a test on it on Tuesday. 
and, 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 and this is fascinating. I took a whole class, and, and the whole class was on the premise of this. Why is this happening? And, and let me explain to you what this is. What this is, is and these are rough figures, and, and don't quote me on them. Um, students who graduate from schools of education, when they come out of schools of education, they primarily use what are called student-centered techniques as opposed to the more traditional teacher-centered techniques. So when they graduate their first year of teaching, they, they do what they've been taught to do. Within five years, half of them are out of the teaching career. They quit. And of those who are still in, 90% have moved over to a teacher-centered approach. The whole class was, the whole semester subject was why is this the case and what can we do about it? Because it was a disappointing finding, as you can imagine. So uh, to summarize this up, I think this is a good quote. The present day educational system is damaging to young people. Evidence of this harm is being presented from psychological, neurological, sociological, statistical, and common sense perspectives. The way we do school is not completing what we want to have done in education. So PBS does a special called Declining by Degrees, talking about how colleges are not doing what they're supposed to do. Waiting for Superman, a, a, a full feature-length film documentary showing how education is not achieving what it's supposed to achieve. And a, a new book that came out, I think, 2011, called Academically Adrift. The subtitle is Limited Learning on College Campuses. They were doing some tests, and they recognized that students did hardly better on their senior year than they did their freshman year on tests that they should have been improving on. And, uh, and, and they are, they are, there's a lot of criticism of education in the world. And uh, I, uh, this one just came out uh, actually in September of 2012, last month, talking about how the whole education system and the credit hour and uh, how the credit hour came into being and how it was never intended for to be the assessment of, of communicating learning from one school to another and how it's evolved. It's just absolutely fascinating. Um, what I'll tell you is this, is that schools, public schools will change. You remember, you remember uh, I, I showed you the quotes from the president of the accrediting association? At that same meeting, there was someone standing up front, and here is what they said. In five years, you won't recognize edu higher education. Higher education will systematically and change beyond recognition. And uh, I'm going to give you, if you stick around for the third and final segment of this, 
Uh, I'll go into some of the details about why that's, uh, they're that way. Uh, I'm going to talk about Adventist education, what we're doing, and, uh, and about some details about uh, how we can improve Adventist education. Uh, but uh, we're out of time for our second segment. And uh, how many think it would be a good idea to have a word of prayer together? Would you do that? If so, please stand with me, please. Father in heaven, I thank you for the blessings of today. I thank you so much that you have uh, given us wisdom. Uh, and uh, although we don't deserve it, we're not smart enough to really handle it, but you've given us divine wisdom through your prophets. And I pray, Lord, that we would step by step understand more and more, understand how to apply this. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to know how to make this a part of our lives. Go with us today. May we be a blessing to others and share this with those that we, uh, that you would have us share it with. In Jesus' name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org